Rejoice and be glad in. Lord, you never make any sad days, blue days, down days, out of it days, <laughs> up and down days. You make them all for rejoicing and gladness. And so we are glad in this day. We're glad for you, Jesus. We're so thankful that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life in uh, blood ink that cannot be erased. So we are so honored and thankful for that privilege, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So we're going to talk today. Uh, the Lord told me to tell you, don't curse the darkness because there's glory within. Amen. Do not curse the darkness because there is glory within. There's glory within. You know, there are dark periods in our lives. There are dark times, dormant times. We'll talk about what that darkness really entails um, because we all want to shine all the time. Hey, we made to shine, <laughs> but we don't shine all the time. All right? So let's 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 be real here. <laughs> so I know I have too many testimonies about praying for people in the supermarket and then wondering I know, I know I didn't comb my head before I left because I left too quick you know what I'm saying or did I put deodorant on and I'm scared to check myself then I wait till I get back in my car and I go who <laughs> <laughs> <What> is that <laughs> well I woke him up anyway God amen well whatever I was a blessing I tried to be but it's always in your your Everyday, normal, ordinary, I don't feel so anointed, I don't feel so wonderful times that God will bring that wonderfulness out. <laughs> so, and those are our medium type darkness situations. And then there are obscure darkness times in our lives where we'll wonder, does anybody know where I am? I'm buried in this hole here. Can, can somebody come and find me? And these are ordained times of God. Uh, turn to John chapter 12 and, and we'll talk about this a little bit because <clears throat> we know that we are God's planting, right? We are trees of righteousness. We're always in growth mode, amen, that you will never stop growing in God unless you disconnect yourself, amen, from the roots that he's connected you to. What are your roots? Your roots are the roots of the spirit that feed you, amen. God has us all planted in soil that feeds us. For for most of us, it's your local assemblies, your local church. Then those of us who are, are called to ministry, then we got to seek how that's going to be fed and how that's going to grow. Uh, God may take you to some very challenging places and, and do some very challenging things with you uh, to get you to disconnect from your comfort zone and from that that soil that doesn't feed you. You know what I'm saying? We got to be fed. Everybody has to be fed. We're all fed by by God's design and by the way that he wants us to go and the way he wants us to grow. And so if we'll remember that, it's it's good to stay planted uh, in the house of the Lord, as, as David would say, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Amen. In the courts of our God. And so it's good to, to remember uh, that planting. 
parenting. I often see these little posts from people on Facebook. And, I don't go to church. You know, they hurt you. All you got to do is have one person to mention something about church hurt and you get about 50,000 people. So I'm looking at that. I said, now wait a minute. I'm trying to put posts up here to bless people and teach y'all the word. I get four likes. And somebody's complaining about people, they get 400. You understand what I'm saying? It's the truth. You get on there with something negative that's going to put somebody down. And man, people flock to that kind of stuff. Amen. You mention the word forgive. You mention love. You mention give. You mention bless. And they'll give you a check maybe. But, you know, like a reluctant... Like it hurt them to punch that little button. And they know it touched them. And so we have to understand. Here Mr. G that one's better I hope. We have to understand that that God wants us to stay planted with him. And there is continual growth as long as we stay planted where he wants us to be. It's important. It's important to us and it's important to God. Sometimes the things that are comfortable to us in the natural are not very good for our spiritual growth. Amen. And and we have to understand that God decides the place where we're planted and where we grow and all of those things. I remember thinking from when I first got saved, I felt so uh, useless. Oh, I'd had I'd felt that for for many years, and I felt so battered by life and all of that. And I thought, oh, if I could just find a nice church and I just stay there and let somebody minister to me and let somebody help me. And before I knew it, I was kicked out on my own. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and <laughs> now <laughs> get up <laughs> and keep it moving. And so I've endeavored to obey the keep it moving designation as, as long as I could. But it's just not good for us to try and design our own way of growth and, and development in God. We just have to allow him to place us where we're supposed to be. So John 12, 24 reminds us that we are plantings of the Lord. It says here, truly, truly, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Ow! He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall be my servant. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So we're talking about servanthood. We're talking about how God develops servanthood in his people. And one of the main ways that God does that is through this process of our planting and dying to what we want to do and dying to the the glitz and the glamour of life you know the fun things of life dying to the things of this world actually because this world is not our home 
And it will amaze you how things you thought you couldn't live without after you get enough of the workmanship of God going on in your life. You don't even think about some of that stuff anymore. In fact, it's not really important to you. You know, I, I've known uh, Christians who have, oh, God's going to do this for me. God's going to put pictures up on the refrigerator and pray for, pray for, pray for, pray for. And, and you know, God will put them into somebody's hands who ain't even thinking about it. And people say, well, how did they get blessed? <laughs> well, it's look at somebody, look at somebody else's pocketbook, looking in their garage. And we see they get blessed. Well, they probably got blessed because it's not a big deal to them. They're not craving it. It's amazing how God will heap blessings upon you when you're beyond the crave stage of things you know these uh, you know i gotta have it and show people and all. when you get beyond that kind of nonsense god will look at you and say well you're finally ready to be blessed amen you're finally ready for this and so when a kernel of wheat falls to the ground it gets buried in the dark earth and that's what we're going to talk about the burial and the darkness that we get submerged in so that God can allow the inner growth to spurt out and the richness that's within to come out. It comes out through periods of darkness. So, so when a, a seed falls to the ground, there is a death because it's not connected to its first life source. So when you die to self, you get disconnected from your first life source. That's your carnal mind. That's your natural man. That's your soul. You get to get disconnected from that. And when you are disconnected from that, then you've got to trust that God's going to work on you somehow and bring new life out of you. So really, it's about the shedding of the old in order to germinate and release the new that lies within all of us. You know, our little t-shirt gifted no apologies. Those gifts are within us that God's placed in everybody. And we're not to, to try and make it something other than what it is. You're to accept that, that God placed in you. Not apologize for it, not try to hide it, not try to ignore it, but to own it. Amen. And own it before God and allow God, God, this is what you've given me to work with. Amen. It may not be like everybody else's what they have to work with. And it may not measure up to my my uh, judgment or other people's judgment but this is who i am this you know what you're doing in me you've placed this in me for a purpose amen and so when we have that understanding of who we are we can relax and let go of of the things that god has ordained for us to do you know we're put in the earth at a certain time for a certain purpose for a certain reason the bible says that the works that god has given us to do even my super supermarket with my armpits held down real tight ministry <laughs> the stinky prophetess maybe she might be smelling good today but we ain't gonna find out you know what i'm saying my little stinky ministry fear of stinky ministry that kind of stuff uh 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 i don't apologize <laughs> I keep telling God, I said, I'm going to fix this, Lord. Somehow I never do. And I'm sure he ordains that I don't fix anything. You understand? But realize that he's bigger than my faults. Amen. 
Amen. I mean, you know, I mean, okay, so I'll do better, but until eh, I do, you know, he always catches me off guard with these things. So, so we are seeds planted in darkness. Darkness is totally necessary for growth. There is germination, spiritual germination that takes place in us through dark places. A germination is the result of anything that expands into greater being from a small existence or germ. So germination is your expanding into a greater being from a small beginning. We all start small. You got me? Uh, Creflo Dollar had three people in his living room at one time. The Copeland, same thing. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody starts out very, very small. And so it's in these darkness places that the greater growth begins to come out from a very small thing. Growth of a plant is contained within a seed. All seeds will germinate under proper conditions. So the proper conditions for spiritual growth is darkness. And sometimes the darkness seems great and then it gets greater. You ever had that happen? You were lonely for one week and thought you couldn't take it and it's been three years now. And you're still, you're still in the same spot. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, company really wasn't what you needed because you survived it and you're still here. And so God is doing something in places we don't understand. The Bible talks about the seed and in, in, in the parable of the seed. And the, the Bible says it begins to grow. We know not how. So these are the mysteries of God. How does he bring light out of darkness? How does he bring uh, a gold out of somebody who is tainted and battered and, and uh, rough cut? And mean and, and, you know, that kind of a person. How does he bring goodness out of that? And he, he, we know not how. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we know this much. That if we're faithful, we stay with God. We do what he tells us to do. We stay put where he places us. Amen. Don't try to get too schmancy. Then we'll be able to receive that growth that he has for all of us. We need to know that there have to be certain elements added to our seed in order for the growth to form. So with a natural seed, water has to be added to that hard shell. So with us, the water is the water of the word and the spirit because the word and the spirit agree. So we have two forms of water that begin to work on us in our darkness. The best thing to do when when conditions are not pleasant for you is to get in that word like you never have before. And we all do it. We do it uh, some some understanding what we're doing, some trying to see if we can get rid of the the germination period sooner. How many of you know that whatever it takes to, for an ear of corn to produce, it takes that much time, period? That time, I mean, people have tried to shorten the time in growing crops with everything. 
And they've never been able to quite do it because the seed grows. We know not how. Amen. I don't care how many fertilizers and additives they add to the soil. You know, if if it takes 90 days for a full ear of corn, it just takes 90 days for a full ear of corn. Nobody can do it overnight. And so these are the secret things that belong to God. So your germination period, your time of darkness and obscurity is going to be what it is until God says it's time for you to for him to release his glory in you and about you growth of a plant is contained within the seed amen you know there are times when we'll think we're ready for something in God and he'll keep us in obscurity for prolonged periods of time and I think some of that is for our protection You ever think about the level of persecution that comes upon people sometimes because of the gifting of God? Or it's like you get tired of being, well, God, I can pray better than so-and-so. How come I don't have, "Mm." you know, you want to get on, go for bad. You know how we do that little snaky thing. How come I can't, how come I can't? Sometimes you can't handle the blowback that comes. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you you have to be willing to take that risk in God. And sometimes what you have in you is too precious for him to throw it out there where it's going to be cut down and persecuted all the time. Anybody ever been called a witch or a devil or something like that because they know supernatural things? Well, you can only take so much of that. And still serve God and still love God and still, you understand what I'm saying? So many times it's for our own protection and our own good and our own, you know, peace of mind. So God wants longevity sometimes more than he wants, you know, the flash and the dash and the power and all that kind of stuff. And then there are times when the body of the greater body of Christ has to catch up to where we are. You know, if you're a more of a forerunner, you're more of a a person that God can can get to understand and handle things a little bit with a little more depth and everything, then you're gonna have to be able to handle his his uh control over your abilities and your gifts and all that kind of just because you got power in you, it doesn't mean you're gonna be in demand everywhere. You understand what I'm saying? It, it really is not, you know, you got to use that in the atmosphere where God calls it to be used because it ain't your power. It is his. And so he might keep you in obscurity for a long time. You know, we'll see that a little bit later when I talk. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I just want to put that out there so you get some understanding of things and why, why there's obscurity, why there's darkness, why there's smallness. Everybody hates small, but there may come a day when you'll be thankful for the small. Amen. You wish the small was back again <laughs> once the big stars hit you. Amen. So the growth of the plant is contained within the seed. So you have everything in you right now that God has ever wanted to put in you. You're not waiting for somebody to confer a title on you or a bishop to come and put a little tall hat on your head and some robes. And you're not waiting for that. I 
Now it might come at some point, but that's not what's going to make you. Amen. What's going to make you is obedience to God in these dark places, in these obscure places, in these small places. The uptake of water ruptures the seed coat. So we all need to have some rupture to happen on the hardness. You know, the self, uh, self, uh, uh, preservation things, the, the little shells of rejection that we put ourselves in and chop people up if they come near us and, you know, try to <laughs> love us or get underneath the shell. Only God can break that. You can't do that yourself because it takes a power greater than what you have. You know, that's why it's not good to press people to, to make changes. You know, you, you can see sometimes what needs to be done, but you just have to let God lead you sometimes in conversations with people and, and help you to, to get them to understand, you know, and, and expect God, just continue to pray and expect God to take care of those rough places and those, those hardnesses and hard coats and so forth. The inside of a seed unfolds and a new life emerges. So you've got eternal life in you. So there's more to you than what we can see right now. There's more in you and in you and in you. And it will begin to unfold. Amen. And this new life will begin to emerge anew again. I know we all born again. We all got this. We all got that. But there's more in you yet. Amen. That God wants to bring out. Amen. So the plant or the leaves will finally emerge from a natural seed we're talking about. The final emergence are the leaves that will feed the real fruit that's there. Don't run off trying to do anything big for God with just leaves. Well... I'm going to see lot there for a minute. See, the caution is that we want to get started so bad. Amen. We going to go out with just leaves. But in Mark chapter 11, what did Jesus do? He was looking for fruit. And when he saw just leaves, he cursed that fig tree because it didn't have fruit on it. So that's what often happens with, you ever see these people that start a ministry and they going gung ho and all of a sudden you don't hear them no more? Very often what they thought was the mature plant in them coming out was just leaves. It was the first sign of life. And sometimes we're so excited about the first sign of life, we'll uproot ourselves from our source of nourishment. Amen. You ever you ever bought the, those cute little plants, the little seedlings that they have? Well, you know what? A better example is uh, I know everybody's been to kindergarten. Hello. Everybody's been first grade. Kindergarten, you you eat glue. You know what I'm saying? You don't even know what to do with stuff. They give you all this stuff. You be eating your glue and they tell you don't do that. But it tastes good. Uh-huh. So first grade, they try to trust you with planting a plant. Remember those little black boxes with soil in them? They told, gave everybody a seed. Told you put the seed in there. And then the year ended before they grew tall enough for you to safely take them home and transplant them. Everybody kill that little seed trying to get it from that little bitty secure 
darkness that it was in. The seas going, oh Lord, they didn't take me home, did they? That's where we all go to die. And the little six-year-old fingers trying to get it out of there and you disturb the roots into the plant. So trying to run your life on just the leaves of your growth will disturb your roots. It'll uproot you from what God's doing in your life. See, everybody thinks they're ready long before they're ready. It's amazing. We could be like doing the Moses thing one day. Oh God, not me. I can't talk. Don't choose me. You couldn't be choosing me. And then after a few, a few uh, hours of obscurity, a few weeks of obscurity, we all ready to go. Why? Everybody hates darkness. We want out of that dark place. We want out of that place of being anonymous. Nobody knows us. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody treats me. You know, whatever. Preachers don't get the best treatment. At least not the ones I know. The ones that work for a living. I'm not talking about the name people. I'm talking about the working people. You understand what I'm saying? You don't get treated real good all the time. And so that, you know, that's kind of like a, a fantasy that we all kind of have. Why? Because we all want to be treated better. Amen? We all do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to learn how to endure even when things are not as pleasant for us as we would like them to be. So once the leaves start to protrude out of darkness, then that plant will finally emerge. Seeds will begin to take on more water and cause that outer coat to rupture and then that begins to die. That won't live anymore. So when God begins a work in you, you've got to be willing to say goodbye to some of those old things, even though they might have been okay things. They were good back in the day, but for where you're going now, you've got to leave them behind and let everything that God sheds from you, just let it go ahead and die. You got me? Because when God brings you into your new, you'll be new inside and out. You'll have a new vision. You'll have a new understanding everything will be totally new it's like when people come out of religion into the the life of the spirit remember jesus when he healed that that boy that was blind and he told him go and sin no more lest a worse thing come to you and where did he find him back in the temple again and he told him to leave See, your sin could be clinging to old religion or an old way. It might even be a, been a decent spiritual life. But if God is putting more new inside of you, you've got to shed all of that stuff. Amen? You can't keep going back to the same old watering holes. Huh? No wonder they turn to mud on us. You can't go back there and, and consider yourself in a place where you can live. Once God, it's like the people, remember the people we, you get to a meeting where they can finally get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues and then they leave you and go back to the Baptist church or non-denom, wherever they came from where they didn't lay hands on them so they can pray in tongues. You tell them the reason they're sick is they need power. 
And so you give them the gift of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands and they go right back into the same old place and they start telling everybody what they got. Huh? You can't replant yourself after God pulls you out of that. But people don't want to go through the the discomfort of being obscure. Because if you're the new place, you're in a new place, nobody knows you. You don't have a favorite seat. The pastor doesn't call you by name. All that you got, you're right back in darkness again, obscure. You don't want to go through that. You want to be where everybody knows your name. (laughs) That had some anointing on it outside. No, (laughs) messing with y'all. But you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes church ain't church. It's like a social thing. Huh? Sometimes you'll get in in the old place and they'll start. All of a sudden they want to make you something. Huh? (laughs) <laughs> you, you've, you've already been blessed with something that they couldn't give you. You go back, now all of a sudden they recognize you as, well, we're going to make you the head intercessor. Or we're going to make you a deacon. Uh, we're going to make you an elder. Uh, but God's making you something else by what he's putting on the inside. It won't have a title when it's in the early stages. You understand what I, it may have a call, but it won't have the title yet because it won't be standing in the office yet. But it will if you let it keep being, if you turn that thing over totally to God, let him have control of it. He'll make it what he wants it to be. Amen. I was, uh, um, there was a, a woman that, that I invited and a minister I invited to the conference. She came and, and, um, I just felt to invite her. She, she'd had some struggles recently and she said, well, okay. And she kept calling Nola back. She said, well, does that mean I have to pay for so and so? She said, well, I'll ask Pastor Barb. And I said, I told her no, I shouldn't pay for anything. She said, really? She said, places where I go preach, they make me pay for my room. I said, for your hotel room to stay and serve them? So she was shocked. You know what I'm saying? Scared to come. She said, what's this? I've never been treated like this before. Well, it was time for her to come out of obscurity. You know, it was her time to be free from darkness. And, and the prophet Waller ministered to her. And this lady has such a heart of love. You know, for ministry and, and you know how you go on Facebook and you look at people saying, hmm, they could use some, they could use, uh, they could use it. And my little list of critical, they could use, uh, you know, like, that dress too short for a preaching woman. She need to get some. Well, this woman had it in her heart that he said, does you even want to teach women how to dress? And she just bust out and start crying. You know, how many people are going to support her in that? But see, God put it in her heart. It's amazing what what uh, the right choice of garment can do to a person in lifting them up to where God wants them to be. You know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of times women dress the way they think the world wants them to be instead of reflecting what's the goodness that's on the inside of them. 
And I'm thinking, God's called somebody to teach women how to poop. I said, well, praise God. I'm sitting here in the front row like, you know, oh, bless this sister. Let's take an offering. Let's send her on her way, you know. And, uh, but, but there are things like that. When, when God wants to bring you out and he'll show you what you have in your heart is not just you wanting to make something up. You know, it's him. And he wants you to know that that it's legitimate and and it's just good. You know, it's good to have and it's good to have your desires validated. You know, I mean, she had no idea God would pick her out and, and prophesy to her. But you need to have what's in you validated and refreshed. You need to have it brought out so the body of Christ can know that there are gifts like that that God wants to do in people's lives. So, I mean, it's important to God. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. Amen. So we are the planting of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 3 says that. So we spoke that already. Our growth begins in obscurity. And we may go back to obscurity from time to time when further growth is required. So it's not like this is a one-time payment for everything for a ticket to Disney World. You know, like a lifetime membership and you're free. The price for your power must be paid over and over again. The price for your future will have to be paid over and over and over again. Turn to Acts chapter 9. And we'll see that. Paul said we die all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Amen. A lot of preachers won't preach that. But it's true. Then when we get slaughtered. Then they want to tell us it's the devil. You rebuke the devil and he don't buke. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) You find out that ain't the devil. This must be God. Amen. So it says here, this is about Saul's conversion. He started out in darkness. Amen. Verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, got letters for him to go to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found anybody that was confessing Christ or in that way, whether they be men or women, he bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus who you persecute. Now, Paul recognized this person as Lord, but he didn't know his identity. Well, because he was spiritually blind. If he had known Jesus, he would have said that would have been a familiar voice to him. He said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you persecute. So that was his first introduction to the Lord, to Jesus as Messiah. He said, it's hard for you to kick against these pricks. In other words, you think you've got power, but you've met somebody with greater power. And see, this is what we need to bump into when we're being developed for God's glory. We need to bump into him in a new way. 
Amen. We need to bump into him in greater revelation. We need to bump into him. You know, God can tell us all he wants to, how much he loves us, and we hear it and we embrace it. But when you have to become intimate with that love and understand what him loving you really means, amen. It's like when you get married, you know, you just all you sit there and stare at them before you get married. Y'all stare at each other. Oh, I just can't wait. Brother, get up and start banging that table looking for food. And you think, who is this I married? Hello. It's one thing to be romantically excited about things. Another thing to live day to day with it. Living day to day with the love of God means that you can't go everywhere you want. You can't do everything you want to do. You can't be with everybody you want to be with. He chooses your friends. And you find out he's a jealous God. Amen. You get tired of making excuses for stuff and you say, well, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. I'm the, the, you know, I just feel God's telling me that what you mean, God. See, you find out who your friends really are when you start telling them the truth about what God is doing for you. Amen. So, so here Paul is, he gets knocked off of his high horse, as they say. Verse 6, he trembling and astonished. <laughs> you know, how Paul was around when the disciples were ministering. He he got to experience and see some things. He heard about some things, just like that. But it never registered with them that Jesus was truly the Messiah. So Paul gets knocked into a place he's never been before. He's scared. He's astonished. Why? He's found a power greater than himself. And this is true of people who who feel that they have status, position, authority, power, wealth. This is how the wealthy find God many times. And so he tells him, Lord, what do you want me to do? So this is what Paul needed. In order for him to be converted. And the Lord said to him arise and go to a city. And it shall be told you what you'll do. In other words I am giving you no more information than that. You go you do what I tell you to do. So Paul gets demoted in natural status. He thinks it's a spiritual demotion. But it's actually a natural demotion. Because religion is is just the natural man. Trying to make up how he's going to serve God. And so when Paul understands there's somebody more powerful than him, stronger than him, he's got a spiritual power he's never run into, amen, then he is going to want to submit to this God. He has no choice but to submit to the Lord. Verse 7, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were open, he didn't see anybody either. He was blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And then three days later is when Jesus shows up and takes him to the next step. So Paul has three days of obscurity and total blindness. Those three days were essential For God to do an inner working in him to change him from somebody who murdered his people and thought they were guilty of blasphemy 
who held Stephen's cloak while the Pharisees stoned him, amen, gave consent and signed his name on the death warrants of many of God's followers. So three days in in total pitch darkness and obscurity was enough for God to get Paul converted. Now most of the time it doesn't take that for most people. Most people, they're so tired of life, they're, they're gasping for living water. And when you come up to them and start to minister to them and, and want them to help them to know God, they, they readily accept. You know, they don't need to be knocked down, uh, you know, and blinded and all these dramatic things. But, but God does what's necessary for every individual. Amen. And so, you know, don't ever wish blindness on nobody. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how bad they are, how bad a murderer they are. You, you ask God to forgive them and help them to see the light. Amen. Let that light come in, Lord, so that they can see who you are and come out of their darkness. Verse 9, he was three days without sight, neither did he eat or drink. Amen. So, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into a street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus, for behold, he prays. And he see, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So already the gifts of God are starting to be revealed in Paul. He's now received a vision from the Lord of somebody coming to him, ministering to him so that he can receive his sight. So he's got some growth in him that God can use. And I believe that's the way God deals with all of his people. You have things in you that have have withstood the test of time that God can use in what he's moving you into in the future. But then there's so much he can't use that has to fall to the wayside. But it's up to God to decide what he keeps and what he discards. You got me? I remember thinking when, when I was saved early in my saved years and I understood that I was called to teach, I thought I would get all my old uh, knowledge of science and medicine and all that kind of nursing and all that kind of stuff and use it in my teachings. And as many times as I tried, them teachings were so boring and so dry. And God told me one day, he said, do you think I really need that stuff that you've, that you're coveting and you don't want to? And see, for me, it was just a crutch. Because cause from teaching, I'd always taught and, and I could always pull from something I knew. But pulling from, mm, I don't know anything out there, God, you got to see. And he wants us to be totally dependent upon him. huh? Every now and then he'll let me use something. But he lets me know. He let me know way back in the days. I don't need none of that stuff. You know that that stuff you learned. It was good back in the day. But for where you're going. I got to have total control of what you know. And what you learn. And, and so I had to let go of that. And let God have it. So. Paul was led to Damascus blind. He was now dependent upon the people that he himself had once hunted and hated. 
But when you got to depend on your enemies for your security, amen, it puts you in a very humble spot. He couldn't see who was leading him. He couldn't see where he was going. And this is typical of what it's like when we're in that place of obscurity where God is dealing with us and bringing forth new growth out of us, causing us to shed the old and pick up the new. It's a place of total trust in God. You can't sit up there and and wish you were in familiar surroundings or, you know, where's my peeps that I always depend on and, you know, many of us, like when I first went from, uh, um, you know, like a traditional worship to spirit filled worship. I thought them little songs are kind of dinky and crazy when you first look them, but they moved me more than the old stuff did. You know, uh, I grew up in traditional Baptist church or traditional, you know, uh, um, you know, non spirit filled environment. And once I was spirit filled, those new songs fed my spirit more than the old ones did. And I could always tell if somebody was holding on to the old, didn't want to let go of this new place, this new obscure place. I had a girlfriend that used to go to some aglow meetings with me. And she said, why don't they play some of our songs? I said, what do you mean our songs? I said, don't these songs, don't you like these songs? I said, they're the word, they're this, they're full of joy and all that. Well, I just mean we need some of our, I don't know what you mean, our songs, you know, that kind of thing. And so some people are just unwilling to let go of the familiar. They're unwilling to let go of the comfortable. Sometimes when that old shell comes off of you, you feel stripped, naked, blind, like you are so dependent. You don't like that feeling. Having something familiar makes us feel more in control. And so God will take away all your controls from you because he has greater things he wants to bring out of you. You got stuff in you you know not and you don't know how to bring it forth. So you gotta be dependent on God in order to go forward. You can't do this having control over where you go, what you go, what you do, how much you do. You can't have, and whether you do anything. Sometimes God will leave you at home forever almost, it seems. Like you never, God, when am I gonna do all the great things you said I was gonna do? And you're still there. And so we have to understand that God knows what he's doing with us. He knows how to help us, develop us, protect us. Whatever it is he's doing, he knows how to do it. So here we have Paul dependent upon a man. Praise God. You can praise the Lord, honey. That's fine. He, um, Paul is dependent upon man. For what he, for his leading. But more than man, he is dependent on God to bring the right people to him. Because suppose Paul tried to stumble his way back to the, the temple or the synagogue and get with his old buds. Amen. But God blocked every door. Be thankful when God closes doors. 
And be thankful when you get bounced out of places. Be thankful when people turn against you and you know they don't love you no more. Amen. Just be thankful because God has something better for you. If he closed that door, I don't care if the devil closed it. God still is bigger than the devil. He has more power and more control over your life than you could ever possibly understand. So there Paul was there. He's among new people now and they're scared of him and don't want to have anything to do with him. He's suffering greater obscurity because now he's with his new crowd, but he's being pushed into a corner. But all God has to do is in your new place, find one person who is willing to obey him on your behalf. Sometimes it's just one that can tell you, you know, praise God. I'm glad you're in this place. I'm glad God led you here. God's going to do great things with you, et cetera, et cetera. Or sometimes you just need to sit and be quiet until God tells you something. You know, we don't need man to encourage us all day long, all the time. We need to be self-encouragers. So, Paul was now dependent upon the people he once hunted and hated. They were also fearful of him, but they obeyed God on his behalf. Ananias was the one man. At first he protested. He said, God, I've heard how this man has been killing the people, all the Christians and everything. And so it says here in verse 17, um, Ananias went to his house and entered and and put his hands on him and said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus that appeared to you in the way has as that you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost so Paul was healed filled with the Holy Ghost and then he got up and got baptized so he received total identification in Christ and when they had received meat he was strengthened then Saul was certain days with the disciples he was discipled into his ministry he the greatest uh, disciple actually as far as revelation and con- con- contribution to the church is concerned had to himself be discipled by people who knew more than he did every I don't care who you are how great you get to in God there is somebody that God will turn you over to who understands more about him than you do and they will disciple you into the place where you're supposed to be. So it doesn't say how many days he was there. It said a certain number of days. If it told how many days, trust me, people who read this will say, well, Paul only needed 10 days. I can do it in seven. <laughs> Cut me loose. <laughs> So I can go terrorize everybody. I'm going to go to my auntie that was always preaching at me, telling my nut wouldn't mount to nothing. I'm going to pray in tongues all night long in her house. Just show her. Whatever. You know how people get crazy. And so God, God then begins to groom Paul. At this point, he's just got roots and a few leaves showing. Amen. So he gently places this new planting into the hands of faithful disciples who will impart to Paul 
all the equipment, spiritual equipment that he needs to go forth and do his ministry. And it says when he had received meat, he was strengthened. He was there certain days. And verse 20, right away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Everybody that heard him was amazed. They said, isn't he the one that used to kill us up? What is he talking about now? But people who know God by the Spirit can tell if you're preaching by the Spirit. Now understand this. Paul started where everybody starts. He didn't start being deep. This isn't the same Paul that you'll see over the epistles who's writing letters to the church. Who said, I pray in tongues more than all y'all do. Who got the deepest revelation. Amen. Had He was beat up in every city he went to. Nobody wants that. But that goes with that deep revelation territory. Amen. That's why I say many of us are being spared from deep persecution. That we would get into discouragement and quit. Amen. And so it says that he increased more in strength, confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this was Christ. Well, this is how the early church preached, because they knew the Old Testament. And you would see Stephen preach like this. Peter preached like this. When they preached to Jews, they would take them from the time of Moses up into modern history showing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And that's how they did it. That's the water being turned to wine. Amen. The Old Testament was the water of the word. Because there was glory there, there was feeding there, there was nourishment there. But immediately at their conversion it turned to wine because they knew Jesus as the Messiah. So that's something that, that can be done in people, you know, where they were totally blind one minute, they they have a message the next. And we all have that same message. Amen. Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he is alive and living and he is king and he is Lord. And that's what they preach everywhere that they went. Amen. So in his darkness, Paul shed his old identity. As a tough, feared religious zealot and became a prisoner of the gospel. Amen. So there was, there was light and revelation in Paul's life, but there was also darkness. He walked, darkness was his constant companion. God says in Psalm 1118, he said he shrouds himself in thick darkness. So that darkness, I think, is a place that's created by God for you to have fellowship with him. Continual fellowship. Because when nobody wants you, nobody knows who you are, nobody thinks you're wonderful, guess who's there for you? Amen? So God sometimes has to cloak us in his darkness with him so that we can be nourished in the right way. So we can Quit dropping the spiritual and picking up the carnal and says, I know it's time for me to do that and I know it's time for me to do that and God just open a door or give me some money or whatever. You know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. He shrouds himself in thick darkness and is with us in our dormant periods. So during these times, we water ourselves with the word and God causes a brokenness to come into us. And the hardness that still exists in our attitude, our mood, 
our plans, all of that, it, it begins to shed away from us. It begins to fall off. You know, as you get older in the Lord, you think, well, boy, I used to think if I didn't get so-and-so and such and such, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I thought was necessary for life. And you find out you don't get those things, but you grew in the way God wanted you to grow. You were content enough not to quit. You didn't quit. Uh, you didn't uh, move on to something else. You didn't take the bait that you saw so many other people taking. Amen. You didn't go in and do these crazy things. You stayed with God. Amen. There are messages that look attractive because people gravitate toward them. You know what I'm saying? But if you're smart, you'll stay with the message God gave you and not try to be a cookie cutter like the you know, important people or people you think are important or, you know, we like to imitate rather than innovate. Sometimes if you stay in obscurity, as long as God wants you there, the kind of stuff that will come out from you will be the authentic thing. And people will gravitate towards you because you're authentic, not because you sound like everybody else, you know. It's like, you know, I used to to get fatigued with people. And say to myself, I say, well, what am I, chopped liver? You know, people go all, come over and get their needs met and then run off someplace else. You know what I'm saying? But if that's what God's ordained for you, that's what he's ordained for you. You see what I'm saying? You can't be everything you think you're supposed to be. You can only be what God's called you to be. Amen? And the sooner we recognize that and and appreciate it, See, that takes the pressure off you to try to create something. Huh? You look at all these people, these movie stars, they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so reinvented themselves. And, you know, we don't do that in this kingdom. But I know people who do. There are some people, all they do is imitate other people's messages. And nobody's ever really good at it because they're all looking for the next popular thing to preach so that they can give their twist on it and get part of that crowd they think that's, that's, you know, going over there in droves. Everybody's jealous of somebody else's crowd and, and all of that kind of stuff. And God doesn't want us living like that. He wants you to be an authentic person. Amen. And I think if, if you, uh, realize that, that God wants somebody who is just totally devoted to Him and that's all they're, they're thinking about is being devoted to God and are, are joyful to do whatever work God puts before them to do and, and get satisfied with it. Amen. Just get satisfied with it. Quit being a complainer about what you don't have. Cause many times that stuff is not ordained for us anyway. What's for you? God gets that to you. You gotta be satisfied in that, folks. We got too many restless people out here. Got too many disgruntled people. Got too many people think they're supposed to have more than what they got and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and God wants us to know that He has ordained a certain level of growth in us. He's ordained a certain, uh, um, desire in us. For the good things that he has for us. And he kind of has to kill some of that old stuff. 
So we won't crave that along with what God has for us. Amen. We'll let that growth happen and we won't live out of our cravings. Amen. Uh, that's the hardest thing for people. You know, I've, I've done, switched over and done all kinds of crazy diets and, but they say the, the low carb people have a hard time living with cravings for sweet things, you know, because if you, you're gonna, be successful at this diet and this weight loss and this uh, new lifestyle, you've got to get over the cravings. And I think that's true with God's kingdom. We have to get over our cravings for things, you know, because your flesh likes to cry out for stuff. It's always crying out for something. You can be very peaceful in God and then all of a sudden you think, well, how come I don't have this? How come I how come, how come, how come, you know, how come all this stuff? And, uh, you know, and it's just out of nowhere, your flesh is start acting up and disturb your peace. And you gotta tell yourself, uh, uh, no, peace, come back. Come back, peace. I'm, I'm very totally content with you. God, what you have for me is for me. You know, nobody gets every single thing God wants them to have. And then there's some people that, that, Cease wanting it, period. You know what I'm saying? It shows up anyway. I mean, God has his way of doing stuff, folks. We are his planting. He does more pruning than we realize. Huh? Some of the pruning is really kind of painless when you think about it. You think about say, gosh, I used to get upset when I couldn't do this or didn't, this didn't happen or that, and now I'm so peaceful. I don't even know myself anymore. <laughs> so, so we have to understand that we, you've been pruned. Amen. You've been pruned and didn't know it. Amen. So Paul's on his way. He's on his way to the greatness that God has ordained for him. Instead of being a crazy old Pharisee for the rest of his life, God has had mercy on him and he's, he's, Paul is is doing the things God ordained. God let him know that he was a chosen vessel unto him, but he needed some prepping and he needed some planting and some training before he could do it. Many times, Paul said, he asked God to take a, a, tr- a trial that he continually found himself in. And God says, your grace is sufficient for me. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when we can let go of all of our, what we want to do and who we think we are and, um, nah, that's not me. I, I, God told me I'm going to be recognized and all, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. We can let go of that. If it's God, he'll get it to you. You just got to trust God. Amen. God's not just the God of the great. He's the God of the small. He's the God of the insignificant and obscure. He's the God of the persecuted and the hunted and the despised. So we just can't want to be in the limelight all the time, to be under the, on the, on the scope, or, you know, to be the glory people all the time. We, we gotta have our, our periods of darkness. So, you know, I would love to have meetings where the glory of God is just poured out continually because I like that atmosphere. But the fact that it doesn't show up all the time does not upset me or shows up. It, I'll put it this way. It's under God's control. 
It shows up in the measure that he desires for it to show when he wants it to show. Amen. So it's tough to keep that atmosphere going, especially beyond if you're pushing beyond where God wants it to go. So I'd just rather let him have it and just bless him for what he's doing. God, I thank you for meeting every need here. Thank you for blessing every individual here. Amen. Meeting our needs and being our companion. That's what's important. Man. So, so now we have Joseph and he had a period of obscurity. In fact, he had a, a prolonged period of obscurity to compare to the Apostle Paul. He lived in a different dispensation. That's part of the reason. But the other part of the reason is, is that we would know that God decides these things. You can't do a textbook thing and say, well, Paul only had three days and he got his sight and I should be able to get everything I want in three days. You know, all this kind of stuff. Can't be jealous of Paul's three days because he lived a life of obscurity, to be honest with you. He, he just stayed where God wanted him to be. So Genesis 39, I think, is where we start with Joseph. He's he's already been imprisoned, you know, for false accusation. And this is this is something that people have a hard time with is feeling that they're wrongfully where they are. Now you can look at it this way. How many things have I done that were wrong I never got punished for? Hmm? Well, I never did anything bad enough to go to prison. Yeah, but you sinned. So you sinned. How many things have I done that, you know, what we sow, we reap. You sow iniquity, you'll reap. Amen. The fruits of iniquity. So we can't say that this is totally unjust, even though the accusation against him was false. Amen. Um, we're all going to have our day of reckoning before God. And that's all this was in the life of Joseph. It wasn't meant to be a legitimate accusation. Because I think Joseph really is meant to to reflect a righteous person. And when you think about it, every accusation against the righteous is untrue and unjust. Amen. We might lie, but you can't call us liars because we're bought with the blood. You're not a liar. Amen. You lied, but then you need to repent, but you're not a liar. That's not your identity anymore. Amen. So we have to be careful. That's, you see that so much in the world now. Everybody's a homophobe, Islamophobe, we're every kind, we're racist, we're a sexist, we're, they're even making up terms to throw at the righteous to accuse us, to see if they can put us in confusion and get us to doubt our righteousness. That's all accusation is for, is to get you to doubt who you really are. Get you to doubt your righteousness. If you're blood bought, they can't hang any labels on you. You're not that, those people. I tell people, I said, there's worse things than being racist. You understand what I'm saying? There's worse things than being a homophobe. 
there are worse things. If that's the worst you can throw at us, then keep throwing it. Because it won't stick to us. A worse thing would be an accuser of the brethren. Because you're on your way to hell, buddy. See, I can get forgiven for any fold I am. But you got to get forgiven for accusing God's people. So I hope you hear what I'm telling you. Back off of that. Man. And the church needs to quit accusing each other. Because we set a bad example for the world. It's so easy for us to want to criticize somebody when we see them doing wrong. Man. We need to lay up off of that stuff. Just just live for God. Amen. Live in holiness as much as you can. So anyway, Joseph is here. He's in prison. Genesis 39 verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with him. Here we are. He's in darkness and obscurity. Guess who shows up with him? God's there with him. God needed to be with Joseph for many, many reasons. Joseph came to an understanding after a period of time why he was there. Once you quit questioning why something is happening to you, you'll get your deliverance. As long as you're in Wonderland... Why is this? Why did this happen? What did I do? Where did I open the door? That's that's supposedly the the new religious phrase we use. Make you sound spiritual on top of being wrong and crazy. What door did I open? Every single one of them. But thank God, God was with you in the open door. And guess what? You keep living, you're going to open more of them. Huh? Thank God he's there to help you and forgive you. Amen. So, so here Joseph is. He's in prison, but it says in, in verse, uh, where am I going? Verse 20, 39 verse 20. But the Lord was with Joseph, that's 21, and showed him mercy. In other words, your jail ain't so bad, Joseph. And gave him favor in the sight of the person in charge. You know, I hear people saying, my boss don't like me. My boss picks at me. I said, do you know you're entitled to favor with your boss? You're entitled to favor with the person that's over you? Maybe they're striving with you because you're striving with yourself. Maybe they're striving with you because you're striving with them. You know, if you're in charge of something, you don't like people under you mouthing off, picking at you, acting funny around you. You don't like it. You're in charge there. You earned your spot. You want respect. You understand what I'm saying? And so if, if in God begins to show us the proper attitude of respect toward those in authority over us. Because there's always going to be somebody over you folks. I don't care what you think and who you think. But there will always be somewhere. Even if they oppose you or they're after you. Find a way to get their favor. Because it's there for you. 
God's ordained that for you. He doesn't, if you're going to be obedient to God, He will not put you under the hand of a mean taskmaster. He'll lift their hand of, of sternness from off you and show you mercy. Amen? And show you favor. And so it said, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison. So Joseph got in there and was running stuff, just like he did at Potiphar's house. His gift of administration continued with him. Why? Because he had perfected it under Potiphar's roof. So when a gift matures enough, that God can trust you to use it faithfully on a continual basis, then that gift will always be there for you to minister out of. Amen? It's like teaching is so easy for me. Because I've been doing it for so long. God can trust me not to go too far out. Now sometimes I'll get emotional. In the emotion of God. But I digress. And I let you know I'm digressing. <laughs> I move myself back over where it's safe to be, where God wants me to be. You know, you, you, you understand your limits, your range, your, your grace, your ability to, to be able to, to utter certain things and, and, and make sure they're understood. And so Joseph is here. He's in prison. He gets mercy from God and God helps him and works with him. He's able then to get the run of the prison even though he would have times where he was chained up because the Bible says that. Amen. It talks about the fact that they hurt his feet with fetters and chains. Amen. And kept him locked up. And so I don't, I don't remember what psalm it is. I'll find it afterwards. But but he did have prisons times in that jail. Where he was locked down and he wasn't free. I'm sure when the, somebody came in uh, to inspect and the jailer knew they were coming, Joseph had to get his feet locked back up again like the rest of the prisoners. But he had favor with the jailer. We know he was in prison for more than two years. Because after his uh, interpretation of the dream of the the baker and the... Um, who was it? The baker and the chief steward. He he told them to mention his name to Pharaoh, and they forgot. And then two years later, Pharaoh runs into a problem that only Joseph can solve for him. See, two years ago, ago Joseph's gift could not have been released. It wasn't mature enough yet. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at Genesis forty. Verses 14 and 15, he's pleading his own cause still. He's trying to get himself free from obscurity based on a gift that God has put in him. So we have to be careful to stay in obscurity until God releases the gift. Just because you have something, it doesn't mean he's letting the world partake of it. It's not strong enough yet. To sustain other lives. It's not strong enough to help other people. It's not strong enough. That's why a lot of times when we're just getting to know how to pray for the sick. You have to learn how to stay focused in the spirit or you'll blow it. 
So that's why God doesn't release you to do more things. He's still training you. So part of your life is still in obscurity, but God will let you out when he knows it's time. That gives mature enough so that it can help. God's got nations, us helping nations in mind. When he puts gifts in us, he's not just talking about a little party game with your friends. You know, where they can say, oh yeah, look how gifted you are. He ain't talking about that. That's going to always be there. Amen. But he's talking about something that he has envisioned for your gift that you know not of. If he told you, you'd blow it. And so that's why he doesn't share all these things with us. But in due season, he brings every gift out of obscurity and darkness to do the work that he has ordained for it to do from the foundation of the earth. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for principles that we learn from your holy word. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us to know the truth so that we can walk in the freedom of it. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the freedom of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise.